Good morning. This message this morning has been a long time coming. God's been really working some things in my life that make this convicting for me. And so I'm, I'm really excited about getting to preach this. A lot of you may not believe this, but I've actually taken up running. Now, I, I know I'm, I'm not actually a runner. I've just taken up running. And, and I know there's so many of you out there that are actually runners. And if we put you here and put me here, you would immediately see that the difference between a runner and what I am. But I have taken up running. And a few times a week, a brother here takes me out and, and punishes me. And I've been doing this for a couple of months now. And yesterday, I got to run in a race. It's my second race. And the first race, I couldn't finish it. It was a 5K. And, and for a big guy, five that's, okay, that's a long distance. And, and every time you hit the ground, it's like 26,000 foot-pounds. And, and that's, that's a long way. It takes me weeks to recover from that. And, and so yesterday, and there's been about two months since then, and, and yesterday my only goal was I just wanted to finish the race without stopping. That's all. I didn't care that the moms pushing strollers ran by me and, and a dad carrying his 10-year-old daughter. That was okay. That was all right. My goal was not to win or set any new world records. My goal was to finish the race. And so I got within the last mile, and the same old thing happened again. My body and my mind got out of sync with each other. And, and the only thing I could think of is, why so what? Why are you doing this to yourself? You want to go over there and jump in the river and just kind of ah, ah, maybe grab an iced tea and a steak or, or something. And, and as I'm running, I, I really want to stop. And so I, just, I went to praying. I needed to do something. And, but as I was praying, I didn't pray what I thought I'd be praying. Like, God, just get me to the end. Or, I have a better thing. God, you, uh, you control space and time. Can you just make the finish line closer? <laughs> that, would, that would have been... But what, did I, what I ended up praying was, God, why is it that when my body doesn't like something, I always want to quit? Why is it that, even though I know that I set this out as my goal, I set this out as what I said I'm going to do, what I said I'm going to... And when things start getting tough or, or I, I start seeing a reason to bail out, I'm gone. I quit. Why is that? And so I'm a little shocked by that prayer. But it got me across the finish line. But a lot of this message came really clear to me in that little example. And I, all this is an introduction to where we're going to go. But do you ever have anything like that? Where you said... This is what I'm going to do. But two days later, you find yourself over here totally not caring about what you said two days before. Now, we're not talking about goal setting this morning, by the way. Or you may say, this is who I am. But a few years later, you find yourself way over here, so far from who you said you are. So far from who you said you believe that you are. And there's this contrast between your words and, and what you say you believe and who you really are. Now, when I started, I said, this is a really convicting message for me because 
this is me. I'm continuously seeing this contrast between what I say I believe and my real life as it's exercised. Now, I have hope because as we saw in the, in the last couple of messages, the God that calls me, the God that justified me or, or paid for my sin is also the God that's going to sanctify me. And so as I live, I see this contrast hopefully getting less and less because Christ is bringing this integration to me. And I'm becoming that man that I say I believe I am. But as it is now, when I take inventory of my life, I see this huge chasm between what I believe and what I am. And I like that. What I say I'm going to do and what I actually do. But God's bringing those things together. Now, I'm going to guess that I'm not the only person in that category. If I am, then this message only has relevance to me and you just have to listen. But I'm guessing that everybody has those things. If we were to take inventory, that we find this, we do find this chasm, this contrast between that. So that's where we're going to go this morning. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we are going to go between verses 12 and 19. So let's read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 12 to 19. Now, if Christ is preached, and we saw that in the last couple of weeks, right? Verses 1 through 11, he set that up and he said, here is, here is the gospel, this is what we preached. So he continues on with that in verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testify against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sin. Then, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men to be pitied. Let's pray. Lord God, would you bless your word this morning? God, as we dig into it, would you push it deep into us? Your word says it's living and it's active and it's, it's able to go in and make changes in our life. Holy Spirit, would you do that with each one of us this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in verse 12, in verse 12, now... If Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, Paul is setting them up here. In the first 11 verses, Paul immediately goes in and says, here's what the gospel is. He tells them what the gospel, but in verse 1, he said, this is the gospel that you 
believe. This is the gospel that you received and you stand fast in. And then again in verse 11, he does the same thing. He said, this is the gospel that we preached and that you received. You believed. And so he's talking to these Corinthians, but they do believe in the resurrection. But there's this teaching that's trying to slither its way into the Corinthian church that he's addressing. He says, well, wait a minute. If you believe that gospel and you're standing firm in that gospel we talked about from verses 1 to 11, how can you, some of you, say that there's no resurrection? So let's do some history here. What Paul's getting after here is a teaching that, first off, he's talking to Greeks. Now, the Greeks don't have Abraham, this way of thinking that was brought down from Abraham and down through Jacob, where they believe that in the beginning, God, all the way through, that, that, that God is in control of, of what's going on. That's not the Greek philosophy. The Greeks have Plato. The Greeks have Socrates. The Greeks have these other philosophers that we talked about all the way through Corinthians when we were talking about the wisdom of man and so on. Well, one of the things Plato taught was a philosophy called dualism. And so to understand what's about to happen in this passage, we need to understand what dualism is. Dualism, dual, two, is a philosophy that we are made up of two parts. We are made up of flesh, meat, And we're made up of spirit. And that these two are connected. Well, so far, not so bad. Except that in their belief here, the flesh is evil inherently. And some of you are thinking, well, yeah, flesh, bad, okay. Hold on to that for a minute. We're going to have to talk about the implications of the flesh being inherently bad. The spirit part is good, the flesh part is bad, and these two things come together. This is what the Corinthians believed. And why there can be no resurrection? Because while we're going through life, we saw this in in 1 Corinthians 6, and we see it in all these places where the Corinthians just decided, you know what, we can do whatever the heck we want to do, because in the end, my body is going to take all that sin with it and fall into the ground and be gone. So it doesn't matter what I do. I can do anything because in the end, when when my body dies, my soul, my spirit, it's going to be out of jail. And it's good and it's going to go get its reward where my body's just going to kind of take all that sin and that yuck with it. And I'm not responsible for that. That's my body that's doing that. It's not really me. It's my body that's doing it. And we see in 1 Corinthians 6 where it says, wait a minute, your, your body is... A temple of the Holy Spirit. What you do in the body does matter. And it gets worse than that. Because what happens if the flesh is inherently evil? When God became man, John chapter 1, it says, The Word became flesh. The Word is Jesus, became flesh. That means He took on a, a body. If a body was inherently evil, then Christ couldn't have been a sacrifice for us. But yet Christ came and took on a body, lived a perfect sinless life, and when he died, he was able to be resurrected because God accepted that sacrifice, his sacrifice, as perfect, bodily. Okay? So hold on to that. That might have been kind of thick. 
But it matters when we start talking about the resurrection because if we think that the body is inherently evil, we don't want that beast being resurrected. We want it to stay in the ground with all its sin. And on top of that, we want to be able to do all the sin and we can because the body's just going to go away. That's not what the Bible teaches. Okay? So there's some implications to that. So the problem here is that people are coming in and they're teaching, excuse me, that there is no resurrection. Now, also, we see in the Gospels a group of people. So there's two places that this comes from. One is, is the Greek philosophy, but the Greek philosophy resonates with something also in the Hebrew side. And we see this through the Gospels. There are two groups of people that Jesus is always conflicting with. We have the Pharisees and we have the Sadducees. And oftentimes in the Gospel, those are called the religious leaders. And every now and then they break them apart. And sometimes they say the Pharisees and Sadducees and other times they just say the religious leaders. But the Sadducees are kind of the liberal religious leaders. And they say there is no resurrection. There is no resurrection. And so we have these people coming in and teaching in the Corinthian church and it resonating with the philosophy that they already have. And so this is a very dangerous, explosive mix. And so that is what Paul is dealing with right away. You said you've accepted this gospel, but yet now you're listening to this philosophy that says there's no resurrection. We have to deal with that. Let's look at the implications of you accepting that philosophy. So we go to the first one. Implication number one. If there's no resurrection, then Christ has not been raised. If there's no resurrection, Christ has not been raised. And we saw in the gospel gospel part in verses 3 and 4, it says, Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried on the third day, and rose according to the scripture. That was the gospel that they accepted and they believed. But if there's no resurrection, that last part, it doesn't exist. Well, the people that believe in dualism, that's fine. I'm good with that because we don't want that resurrection. Okay, Christ didn't raise from the dead anyway. Because not only did Christ not raise from the dead, but Christ never really died. Now, this is important to us because this dualism has made its way into another philosophy that's common to our day called Gnosticism. And if you... Look up Gnosticism on Google. You'll find that there are numerous cults in Windsor that follow Gnosticism and have this this dualistic belief that Christ never died. Why? Well, because Christ never was man. If Christ was man, he was evil because the flesh part is evil. You can't have that. So Christ appeared to be a man, but he really wasn't. He went around and he taught and whatever, and then when he was crucified, he was... But he never really died because he was never really a man. That's what dualism would tell you. So they're good with that. You're right. No resurrection. But Paul doesn't leave it there. Because if Christ didn't die, if Christ wasn't man, he also didn't... You got it. He didn't pay for our sins either. So he needed to be fully man. The big word here is hypostatic union. Christ had to be both fully God and fully man. 
fully two natures at once in order to be who he claimed to be. So implication one, Christ hasn't risen. So I ask you this question first. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the resurrection? And that in the resurrection, then Christ's resurrection is possible? Resurrection isn't something that happens every day. Those of you who are scientists and very smart, it's really hard to uh, prove a resurrection scientifically. Are you sure it really happened? Do you believe that? Think about that. Implication number two. The gospel is meaningless. Right? He says that our preaching is worthless. We're going around and what we're preaching is, we're preaching that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That's what we're preaching. But if there is no resurrection, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, the very pinnacle of what we're preaching isn't there. So our preaching is empty. There's no end to it. There's no, there's no real power in the end of it because what we have is a prophet died. Well, if it stops there, that's what you have. A prophet that died. And there's no, there's no power. There's no life there that, that they're going around preaching. What they're preaching is Jesus Christ died for your sins. And he was raised as a validation of that. We saw in Romans 4 that the resurrection declared Jesus the Son of God. So there's where the power is. But if there is no resurrection, then Christ didn't raise. And if Christ didn't raise, there is no gospel. There's no good news. There's no good news because this. When sin entered the world, so did death. Right? When sin entered the world, before sin, there's no death. If we go back into Genesis, we see that before sin, nothing died. After sin entered the world, God said, you know, from dust you came, from dust you're going. That's kind of like the culmination of the curse. That man is going to die. And in that, you're going to be separated from God. By the way, that's bad news. I don't know if, if gospel is good news, I don't know the word for bad news. But that's bad news. You are going to die and you are going to be separated from God because of sin. Where there's no power in the gospel if death has victory over Jesus. Many of you have read the verse in, in different places. Oh, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? Well, if Christ is still in the grave, the victory is still intact and so is the sting. In all of us, there's no good news. There is no gospel. The gospel's empty. But that's not the case, right? That's not the case. If Christ did raise, then he does have victory over death. And now he has life to give us. So implication number two, if there's no resurrection, Jesus is still in the grave and there is no good news. There is no gospel. Instead of being here, we need to be at the temple sacrificing goats because there's no Messiah yet. There is no good news. Implication number three. Not only is there no gospel, but your faith is useless. Your faith is also meaningless. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is being sure of what you Hope for and certain of what you can't see. 
What's your hope as a Christian? Your hope as a Christian is that you know that there's this chasm between you and God, but your hope is that Christ has bridged that chasm. We talked about this the last week, that that Christ has made you righteous and has brought you to where you can be in the presence of God. Right? That's our hope. That though we're separated from God, Jesus is going to bring us back to God. That we're going to be resurrected. That's our hope. But if Christ hasn't been resurrected, then he did not. He can't cover us with his righteousness because he doesn't have it. He's just another person just like us. And so your faith, the hope that you put in Christ to bring you to God... Is empty. There's no power in it. There's no reason for you to believe that. If there's no resurrection. So the question there is, do you believe that? Do you believe the resurrection? Do you believe that one day you will be raised and you will spend eternity in a glorified state with Jesus Christ? Do you believe that that Jesus was raised? Do you believe that we've been given this this ministry of reconciliation that we're this priesthood, this holy priesthood that God calls us because of the resurrection? Do we believe that? Let's go to the next implication. All the witnesses are liars. In Acts 2, we see that the, the apostles are gathering together because Judas... One of them betrayed Christ, went out, hung himself, and Judas died. And so now there's only 11 of them. And the apostles said, no, we need to be 12. We need to find another man that's going to be with us. And they say it like this. They say, we need somebody who's going to be a witness of the resurrection with us. It doesn't say they're going to be a witness of the teaching, a witness of the death, a witness to go around and just tell it. No, it says we need a man who witnessed the resurrection, the appearance of Christ so that he can be preaching with us. Well, if there's no resurrection, then Christ wasn't raised. And if Christ wasn't raised, all these witnesses that are out there preaching that they saw Jesus are not just misled. They're liars. So essentially, these Corinthians that are saying this are calling Paul a liar and the other apostles. Because what they're preaching is false. Now, it's even worse than that for the actual liar. Because these men deeply love God. Right? You take Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, dedicated his life to religion and dedicated his life to following the law. But then he saw the resurrected Christ. Christ changed his life. And now he's running around lying about God? Giving false testimony about God? That's got to hurt. So an implication there is that all the witnesses are liars. Do we believe that? Do we believe in the resurrection? Or are all those witnesses liars? If we push that here... Many of you out there say that God has changed your life. The Holy Spirit has changed your life. The fact that Jesus Christ is raised has changed your life. He's given you hope. He's given you hope in one day being resurrected. He's given you hope in, in one day getting to be with God in eternal glory. You're a liar. Because then you go out 
and tell other people that. That Jesus Christ changed my life. Well, maybe you're just misguided. Because if there's no resurrection, there's no change in your life by the power of Christ. And so that whole go out and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. God has given us, blessed are those who are peacemakers, blessed are those who are going out and and making peace between other men and God. That's what we do. We go out and we tell people that the resurrected Christ can change your life now and for eternity. He can give you that hope that when you wake up in the morning, yeah, you know, life can get rough, but... We're from another place, and we're waiting on what God's doing for us. You're either misdirected, or you're a liar. That's the implication of there being no resurrection. Do you believe that? Is there a resurrection? Do you believe that God's given you the ministry of reconciliation to go and to make disciples, bring peace to men? Through the power of the resurrected Christ? you believe that without a resurrection it's not possible implication number five there's seven altogether but you're still in your sin if there's no resurrection Jesus didn't write is this starting to sound like a broken record there's one thing that you should be able to quote when you leave here if there's no resurrection Jesus didn't rise if Jesus didn't rise you are still in your sin because there's no acceptable sacrifice if Jesus is still in the grave he's simply another prophet yes he said a lot of things that might be good but if he said he's going to come back from the dead and he doesn't then what does that make him the word isn't good Right? You've heard the C.S. Lewisism. You're either a lord, liar, or lunatic. Right? He's got to fit into that category somewhere. If he's running around saying, I'm going to rise from the dead, and he doesn't, then everything else that he said in the last 30-something years, you can't really rely on that either. If Christ hasn't risen, we are still in our sin. Jesus said this in John 8. He said, you know, if you don't believe in who I claim to be, you will certainly die in your sin. That's what he told people. If you don't believe in who I claim to be, if you don't believe in me, you will die in your sin and be eternally separated from God. But if Christ never raised it all, then what are you to believe in? You can't believe in you're still dead in your sin. He was a liar to begin with. If he didn't raise. If there's no resurrection. There's no acceptable sacrifice. Implication number six. Those loved ones that they had. And all of those through history. That believed in Christ and hoped in Christ. So that when it, like with Paul when it says to live is Christ to die is gain. That when I'm absent from the body I'm going to be with Christ. There's this hope that when I die I cross that river and I'm with Christ. And one day my body's going to be resurrected imperishable to be with Christ also. I'm going to be whole. That's the hope. And when people die with that hope. If there's no resurrection. They're perishing. They had a false hope. 
Now, as Christians, every one of us as a Christian would say, yep, that's my hope. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that if I accept him and I ask him to forgive my sins, I accept him as the forgiveness of my sins, I will spend eternity in glory with God. All Christians say that. The question I ask is, do you believe it? Do you believe that there is a resurrection? That one day you will be resurrected? And that even while we're here, we're looking to that reward. We're looking to that resurrection. With that resurrection, do you believe that Jesus was raised? And when he raised, he gave you life and said, go and make disciples. Go be my witnesses to all the world. Do we believe that? Do we believe that's what the res- do we believe there's a resurrection? Implication seven, the last one. Now, this is what I'm going to spend a little bit of time on. Because this is the one that's convicting to me. Let me read verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. A few months ago, I, I read a book by John Piper called Desiring God. And, and I knew that, that I was going to preach on this section. And so as I was listening, he hit this verse and it tore me up. Uh, I guess the religious word there is it convicted me. And so, as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, now wait a minute. Be most pitied? And the question that comes out of that is, am I living a life that is consistent with someone who says they believe in the resurrection? Why would my life be pitiable? I see why Paul's life is pitiable. But he goes on later and says, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus and he spends open nights in the sea and he took on beatings and stoned and all these things. And you say, Paul, why not just quit? Stop it. And Paul would say, "Uh uh-uh, there's only one thing my life is about. The resurrection. It's about Christ. And I'm going to serve Christ with everything that I have in hopes we see in in Philippians 3 that one day I might attain the resurrection. So his whole life is, is centered around serving Christ. If there's no resurrection, he's to be pitied. Not only him, but that whole Corinthian church. If there's no resurrection, why do you do it? Why do you do it? You just have an empty philosophy. If you have a full tomb, you have an empty philosophy, no power, that's it. There's nothing that's going to bring you from death to life eternally with God. You don't get to be in the presence of God. You just follow a bunch of rules. Full tomb, empty philosophy, no power. Why bother? Stop it. You're wasting your life. It's a pity. That doesn't take but two seconds to turn that around and say, wow, is that my life? Do I live in such a way that my life is consistent with somebody that believes in the resurrection? 
If you took Jesus away from me, what would Wednesday look like? Would I still just be getting up, going to work, making a living, getting a new car, buying groceries, eating too much? I might even keep running. Would my life just be the same? If you took Jesus away from me, would my life be the same? Or if you took Jesus away from me, would I just crumble into nothing and say, that's all I have in life. Everything I've built my whole life around, everything that I desire, everything that I do, everything that I want is in Christ. And if you pull Christ out of there, my whole life just falls apart. Which is it? Do I believe in the resurrection? Do I believe that Christ raised from the dead and gives me that life and calls me to heaven that I one day get to be in glory with him? Do I believe that? Remember that contrast I spoke of earlier? I'll tell you I believe it. I've read it. I've accepted it. Here it is. I can articulate it. But if you were to be a mouse in my pocket, well, that wouldn't be bad. If you're following me around, what would you see in my life? Would you see this huge contrast between me saying, yep, I believe in the resurrection that one day everything that I do is pointing toward getting my reward in heaven and enjoying God forever and and just loving that Jesus is the center, the core of my life? Is that what you would see? Or would you see a businessman who gets up on Monday morning and goes to my meetings and makes my living and buys my groceries and, you know, I don't really give God another thought. And that's why this is convicting for me. Because that is me. There is this contrast in my life that says, yeah, I I desire this, but it's not me. And when we're told to go in, it says, test to see whether you're daily, test to see whether you're in the faith. We take this inventory of our life and say, what's this contrast look like? What's this contrast? And what happens is, if you're honest with yourself, you say, oh, God, it's huge. It's huge. And you want to be discouraged. And you want to just say, I can't do it. (laughs) That's the point. Right? God says, you know what? In your weakness, my strength is made perfect. You're right. And you, you can't do it. But in Christ, all things are possible. This chasm can be crossed because it's not your business to sanctify. It's your business to cry out to me and it's your business to repent. It's your business to be hungry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they're going to be filled. Why? Because God is going to sanctify us. Right? What's our task there? Don't be discouraged that you see this chasm. But it should still drive you to your knees and say, God, I, oh, would you sanctify me? Would you expose these things like David? Like David prayed, God, would you, would you even expose those sins that I don't even know about? Because they're keeping me from you. It's keeping this contrast too stark. Show me how this gap can be closed. And as we ask God for that, he's going to bring that together. He's going to integrate us. And we will be the people we say we believe. Do you believe in the resurrection? Is your life consistent with someone who says they believe in the resurrection?
If it's not, it can be. And we beg God for that and ask Him, God, integrate us. Show me where I need to repent. Show me where I'm being obstinate to Your Word. God, draw me to Yourself. Make me an integrated person where I am who I say I believe I am. Verse 20, we're going to start there next week, but we have to hit it because it all 12 through 19 says, well, if there's not a resurrection, if there's not a resurrection, if there's not a resurrection, you should be pitied because Jesus is the core of your life and you would fall apart if there's no Christ, if there's no resurrection. But verse 20 says, but there is a resurrection you are not to be pitied all the work that you do all those things that you do that kind of are countercultural the whole giving to the church mission and you don't get a new car because of it or going overseas and telling people about Christ and leaving your family and and just suffering the, moving into a very vulnerable place in relationships To share Christ with somebody knowing that you could be rejected and losing a friend. It's all worth it. And it's worth it because there is a resurrection. That's the point. Everything that you do for Christ will last. Everything else, just burn up. Let's pray. Lord God, would you take your word this morning and just like we prayed at the beginning, God, that it would just make us who you desire us to be. And God, I pray a special prayer for everybody in here, Lord, that that there would be no discouragement. But God, we would we would see that contrast in our life and beg you to sanctify us. God, as we do that, we do that and we just desire to worship you in that. As you make us into the image of your son. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.